The sermon today will begin as your favorite television drama begins. Previously, in our series, Paul, the Apostle Paul, told Timothy, we're in 1 Timothy, the book, if you'd like to turn there, Paul told Timothy to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. It's 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 3. Turn my monitor on here so I can see. Apparently there were people in Ephesus among the Christians there where Timothy is serving. And they are teaching a distorted version of the gospel. Uh, They are adding things to that deposit of sound doctrine that should not be added. And Paul says to Timothy, you tell them to stop. And he says in verse 5, he he picks back up with this language about the charge. He says, the aim of our charge, the aim of your charge, is love. That's what we're after as Christian servants, Paul says. It's love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then many verses later, at the end of this chapter, towards the end of 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul again picks up with this language in verse 18 when he says, This charge, all the way back in verse 3, he says, I charge you to tell certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. This charge should come out of love. And then a little bit later in verse 18, he says, This charge that I'm entrusting to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare That you may fight the good fight, Paul will say later in this book, holding faith and a good conscience. Paul is encouraging Timothy to follow through with this charge that he has given given him to stand up for the truth of the gospel, to hold the faith, to wage the good warfare. And so, when Paul begins chapter 2 with, first of all then, those are the first four words in my Bible, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. First of all then, it sounds like Paul is about to provide a game plan to Timothy for waging the good warfare. It sounds like he's about to provide some instructions for carrying out the charge that he has given to Timothy. So where does he begin? Where do we think he might begin? Maybe... Where do we think he should begin? Maybe we think Paul should say to Timothy, okay, in order to fulfill this charge, in order to effectively rid the church of false teaching, in order to hold the faith and wage the good warfare, you need to plan a meeting, get a meeting together, set a time, tell the people who need to be there to come, plan a meeting. Maybe we think Paul is going to say, got to preach a sermon. And I'm going to tell you the points that you need to include in said sermon. Let me give you, go ahead and give you an outline for what you need to preach about so that you can fulfill this charge. Does he say organize a workshop? Here are some topics that you need to cover with the church in a weekend workshop. Tell them to carve out Friday and Saturday and get everybody together and have eight sessions about what is sound doctrine. About what the church should be about. Does he say, have a conversation? 
Let me tell you exactly who you need to talk to. This person, this person, this person. These are the ones calling, causing the problem. You go to them, have a conversation. What does Paul say that Timothy needs to do first in order to fulfill the charge? In order to wage the good warfare? Well, he says, and you probably already read ahead in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that you pray. And I urge y'all, meaning the church at Ephesus, that you pray. First of all, and it's first in sequence here, but that probably also means this is first in importance. So not only is this his first point, it's his most important point. You need to pray. Chapter 2, verse 1, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So Christian, do you want to keep the faith? Yes. We should all answer yes to that question. We want to keep the faith for the long haul. Christian, do you want to resist heresy? Do you want to resist false teaching? Do you want to embrace sound doctrine? Yes. Do you want to lead the gospel charge? Yes. Then, if the answer is yes to those questions, then you will, first of all, drop to your knees with greater frequency and more fervently to pray. You will realize, if you answered yes to those questions, that prayer is the most powerful weapon in your arsenal as you fight the good fight, as you wage the good warfare. We know that Paul, for Paul, prayer was an exceedingly important, a big component of his gospel work. Paul was set apart for ministry with prayer and fasting along with Barnabas. That's Acts chapter 13 when they're in Antioch and they're about to send them into the mission field so that they can go about traveling and bringing the gospel to many different places. Where does it begin? It begins with prayer. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are in Philippi uh, and they've been thrown into prison, what do we find them doing? Not moping, not complaining, they're not down and out and depressed. They're singing hymns to God and what else are they doing? They're praying. We know from looking at Acts chapter 20, was it last week or the week before, when Paul has this very tearful meeting with the elders from the church at Ephesus. And it's tearful because they're saying goodbye and they know it's the last time they're going to see each other. What does Paul do with that group of church leaders? He prays with them. And prayers are sprinkled throughout his letters, his many letters in our New Testament, most especially at the beginning. When at the beginning of most of his letters, Paul says, I am praying for you. He tells all the Christians that to whom he writes, you are constantly in my prayers because I'm thankful for your faith. Paul understands the importance of prayer and he knows that it's a big component of his gospel work. And in this verse, you have noticed that he piles up various terms for prayer in order to emphasize its importance and its primacy. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. Paul is in essence saying, you need to be praying all kinds of prayers 
for all kinds of people all the time. And as I've said before, and this is not original to me, prayer should never be seen as our last resort, but always as our first response. So Paul says to Timothy, do you want to fulfill this charge that I am giving you? Do you want to wage the good warfare? Do you want to resist heresy? Do you want to stand up for truth? Do you want to keep the faith? Do you want to fight for the gospel? Then you'll pray. I urge that you pray. I urge that the church there prays. But Paul is not yet finished emphasizing the power of prayer. After he says that prayers should be made for all people here in verse 1, he gets specific in verse 2. Let's keep reading. For all people at the end of verse 1, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The questions of who and why are answered in this verse. The who is this. Included in all people, Paul here says, are the ones who rule over you. Are those earthly government leaders. Now, for the folks in Ephesus, it was very different than us Americans today. Ephesus was a city that was under the rule of the Roman Empire. In fact, it was at this time a pretty prominent city in the Roman Empire. And so when Paul tells Timothy, you need to pray for kings and those who are in positions of authority, he's talking about the emperor, who, by the way, at this time was the infamous emperor Nero. He says you need to pray for kings, for those in high positions. For them, it would also be those under the emperor, governors and other officials. That's the who, and here's the why. Paul says you need to pray for those people so that... You can lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life. So what is Paul saying here? He is saying something remarkable, really. That prayer is so powerful that it can even make an impact on how earthly leaders govern. And so we should fervently be praying for ours. And I was so thankful for the prayer that David led earlier, in which he not only thanked God for the gift of prayer, but he also prayed for those who are in positions of authority in our country. And that shouldn't just be something that we do publicly. It should be something that we're doing privately in our prayers. We should pray for our local government leaders. We should pray for those at the state level. And certainly we should pray for those... At the federal level, we should pray for Congress. We should pray for the Supreme Court. It's been a lot of news on that front lately. And we should pray for the executive branch as well, for the president. On Sunday, June 2nd of last year, David Platt, who is the preacher for the McLean Bible Church in Vienna, Virginia, received some surprising news, he explains. At the end of my sermon, at the one o'clock worship gathering, I stepped to the side for what I thought would be a couple of moments in quiet reflection as we prepared to take the Lord's Supper. But I was immediately called backstage and told that the President of the United States was on his way to the church, that he would be there in a matter of minutes 
and that he would like for us to pray for him. Now that makes me a little nervous just reading that. Can you imagine what he was feeling in that moment? Well, sure enough, the president arrived at 2.25 p.m. in khakis and a jacket over a polo shirt. He had been golfing at the Trump National Golf Club in nearby Sterling, Virginia that morning. And when he got there, he came up on stage and David Platt was there. And before praying for the president, Platt read our text for the day. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And then he prayed with the president standing right there. And this is what he prayed. I want to share with you the text of his prayer. He said this. You could find this video on the internet. Oh God, we praise you as the one universal king over all. You are our leader and our Lord and we worship you. There's one God and one Savior and it's you and your name is Jesus and we exalt you, Jesus. We know we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your wisdom in our country. He began by praising the one and only true God. He continues, and so we stand right now on behalf of our president and we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom upon him. God, we pray that he would know how much you love him. So much that you sent Jesus to die for his sins, our sins. So we pray that he would look to you, that he would trust in you, that he would lean on you, that he would govern and make decisions in ways that are good for justice and good for righteousness and good for equity, every good path. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would give him all the grace that he needs to govern in ways that we just saw in 1 Timothy 2 that lead to peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. God, we pray for your blessing in that way upon his family. We pray that you would give them strength. We pray that you would give them clarity, wisdom, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Just a little more. Please, oh God, give him wisdom and help him to lead our country alongside other leaders. We pray today for leaders in Congress. We pray for leaders in courts. We pray for leaders in national and state levels. Please, oh God, help us to look to you. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to seek your wisdom and live in ways that reflect your love and your grace, your righteousness and your justice. We pray for your blessings on our president toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't see eye to eye with David Platt theologically on every issue. We're not on the same page on everything. But that's an excellent prayer. That's a biblical prayer. That's a prayer that doesn't neglect the primacy of the gospel. It's a prayer that exalts God and His Son, Jesus Christ, first. This would be an excellent prayer for any president. Would have been an excellent prayer for President Obama. It would have been an excellent prayer for President Bush, for President Clinton, for the other Bush. (laughs) And it would be a good prayer if there is a President Biden. It's a good prayer, and it's really a good prayer for any government leader. Listen, we are told every four years especially that it's very important to vote. Got to get out there and vote. Your vote counts. Your vote matters. And while voting is not unimportant, I think as Christians we should believe that even more important to vote is to pray. To pray is even more important. Why, Paul says, so that you can lead peaceful 
and quiet and godly and dignified lives in every way. And Paul was telling people who had far less say in their government leaders than we do. These people weren't blessed to live in a democratic republic like we are. Their voices were not heard in in, uh, who was selected to have power. And yet he says all the same, you need to pray for them. Why? Because God is powerful. He is powerful enough to direct the steps of even your government leaders. That is how powerful prayer is. So as important as it may be to vote and to make your voice heard, it is even more important for God's people to pray. And I saw yesterday, there was a group up in Washington, D.C., a large group gathered to pray. We need to be praying for our government leaders as well. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what Paul tells us to do. Paul says it is good for us to pray. He goes on, verse 3, this is good. This is an inherent good to pray. And additionally... It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the desire of our God. We get a glimpse into the heart of our Father here. He wants all people to be saved. I'm reminded of what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we should pray to this end too. And this may be the biggest prayer that we have to pray. Lord, bring salvation to all humanity. And here's what we need to tack on to the end of that. Use me in that mission. We need to ask that God would use us to answer this prayer. To bring about salvation to all people. To fulfill God's greatest desire. And that is that all people come to salvation. And are redeemed. So we should be praying as the song says. Lead me to some soul today. Use me in the, ex- in the extension and the growth of your kingdom. And your church. And so prayer is not a formality. It's not a Hail Mary pass when you're out of options. It's not a last ditch desperate effort when you've tried everything else. It's not a favorite activity for the weak, you know, for people who can't help themselves, who need some extra help from on high. It is a confident appeal to an all-powerful God. As we sing, prayer will change the night today. Let me share one example, one example from a million that you could probably think of, of how prayer changes things. My uncle, Butch Hanna, was for 18 years an official in the NFL. And he says that, you know, it would take him away from home on a lot of Sundays, many Sundays of the year. And he said, I decided to try to make an impact on my fellow officials by planning a devotional time every Sunday morning. You know, we were in this city or that city, but... Every Sunday morning, I would plan a devotional time in the conference room at our hotel. And he would invite them to come. And the first time a few came, and then it slowly grew until all but one of the officials on the crew were coming to these, well, worship services, these devotionals. And he says the last holdout was a man that he didn't know all that well, but who had the reputation of being a very aggressive personality. Someone who you didn't want to cross. Somebody who was sort of closed off. 
But he kept inviting him, and then one day, this man came. And it shocked my uncle, because before this, this man had said, there's no reason for me to go to church. I don't have a reason to go to church. But on this day, he was there. Now, he wasn't seated at the conference table. He was standing at the corner with his arms crossed. He didn't seem to want to be there. But they were taking prayer requests. And in the middle of the request, he said, you know, I would really like for us to pray for my mother. She's really not doing well. My uncle said, well, I didn't realize that. I'm really sorry to hear that. I tell you what, let's stop right now. And let's pray for your mom. And so that's what they did. And my Uncle Butch says halfway through the prayer, he could hear this man, this hardened man, crying. Well, time went on. The season progressed. And my uncle would check on this man's mother. And soon enough, she took a turn for the better. Well, the next season, this man was on my uncle's crew again. And they began to have their Sunday worship services in the conference room. And you know who the first person to show up was? And this time he wasn't standing in the corner. He was sitting at the table. It was that, it was that official who was reluctant and resistant at first. But it was that prayer for his mother that softened his hard exterior when my uncle retired a few years later, he got all kinds of notes congratulating him on his retirement, but he says the most special note or message that he received was from that fellow official. And the note said a lot of kind things, but at the end it said, Butch, I want you to know that getting to know you has not only made me a better football official, it's made me a better man, a better person. Now, has that man become a disciple of Jesus? I don't know. Has he gotten a little closer to making that decision? I'd like to believe so. And I'd like to believe it all goes back to the time when that group of men prayed for his mother. See, prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. Prayer can change the night today. This is everyday discipleship. This is the series that we are working our way through. And by the way, my uncle provides us a good example of what everyday discipleship looks like. Let me remind you that God has called you to be a disciple wherever you find yourself. Your mission is not somewhere out there. It is, it is wherever you work. It is wherever you go to school. It is wherever, wherever you find yourself each day in the midst of the people who are around you right now. God has you where he wants you. So don't wait for some project that you have yet to begin. And don't assume that mission is a trip. It's in some other place. It's right here. It's in Franklin County. It's in Winchester. It's in Tullahoma. It's wherever you find yourself each day. Let God use you. This is everyday discipleship. And we talked about giving thanks every day. Gratitude to our Savior should be on our mind, in our heart, on our lips every day. We talked about staying focused on our Savior every day. And on sound doctrine, which is found, Jesus is the source and the center of that. And today we're talking about lifting prayers every day. And I appreciate all the songs that Frank led about the importance of prayer. Why should we lift prayers every day? Because prayer is powerful. It is so powerful, in fact, that it enables us to stand up against false teaching. It guides the decisions of government leaders 
And it even helps lead lost souls to Christ. And do you want to know how a powerful God makes prayer possible for us? Let me read two more verses from 1 Timothy chapter 2. After Paul says, he desires God, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth because there's one God, verse 5, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The way that he makes prayer possible for us is the same way he makes salvation possible for us. Through the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus Christ. And in fact, it is the salvation that he makes possible that paves the way for us to pray in the way that we do through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for you. Will you give yourself to him? Will you not hold anything back? Will you, if you have not confessed his beautiful name and turned from your sins and been baptized in water so that those can be washed away, will you make that decision this morning? We would delight in pushing back our Bible class time in order to watch you become a child of God. Or if you're struggling in any way, you need prayers, we ask that you come. Or after our worship service, before class begins, there will be two elders in the conference room. You can go and talk to them, pray with them. Don't leave here with the spiritual need on your heart. Make it known. Let us pray. And let's all leave here together spiritually whole and healed Because God can do that for us. God can bring about spiritual healing and life and salvation. And it's available for you right now as we stand and sing.